If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. It is the middle of August. And John, you will be very pleased to hear that as you sit baking in Dunleary. Baking indeed. I, I am here in the Adriatic in the pissings of rain. <laughs> in the pissings of rain, there are storms. There's a certain amount of satisfaction I get from I that. I know, I know, I know. I, there are storm clouds, there's lightning, there's thunder. It's those rolling thunder storms, you know, that you get in the Mediterranean around this time of the year. Yeah. And yeah. fascinatingly, which is a real pain because it's funny thing, psychologically, when you're in a place like this, you're kind of in a hot place. So you get kind of angry when it's not hot. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like you feel betrayed. Yeah. You say, hold on a second, I want my money back. <laughs> yeah. Whereas at home, you don't, at home, you don't give a sugar. Like it's like it's raining yet, it's a pain in the arse. But you know, that's yeah. what you expect. And it's funny, it's all, it's all about, this is, the fun, this is the whole basis of sort of behavioral economics, that it's all about expectations. People's state of mind is all about not so much their reality, yeah. but the reality they expect it to be and how much of a deviation it is from reality, you know? It's always that what makes people happy in societies is not what they have, but actually the contrast between what they have and what the other fellow has, right? Yes. Yeah, That's yeah. why inequality corrodes people. And we're going to talk about this today, actually. We're going to talk about the housing market in Ireland and how it has the potential to derail all the achievements of the last 20 years. And there have been so many achievements. I'll oh, right, okay. stay in the podcast. But it's that contrast. So my contrast now is looking at yeah. you with the sun coming in. The with window, Teddy's ice cream. Teddy's ice cream. And me moping around with sort of sudden sort of <laughs> Birkenstocky sort of sandaly things thinking, I didn't buy into this. This is what I was doing. <laughs> but fascinatingly, I think I told you last year, Every single summer, almost without fail, in the second or third week of August, this weekend, right? Yeah. On the 15th of August, which is the Feast of the Ascension. They call it here Veliki Gospa, okay? The Italians call it Ferragosta. And I'll come back to it. You can almost time your watch to the fact that the weather breaks and what was incredibly warm weather for about a month totally descends into lightning, thunder, chaos. And it all comes from the River Nile, John. Okay? Go on. So what happens is the River Nile, the source of the Nile is in Ethiopia, right? Yeah. There are extraordinarily high, high mountains in Ethiopia. And the monsoons, the Asian monsoons, deposit loads and loads of water on top 
of the mountains. And as that water goes into the Nile, you get this kind of shunting on over a period of weeks and a period of months. And the Nile Delta in the Mediterranean, the very top of Alexandria, becomes completely sodden. Yes. And of course, then, that water there in the really high Mediterranean temperature of June and July evaporates. Yeah. And what happens here is you can really feel it. A southern wind, a Sirocco, comes in about two or three days before the weather breaks. And that just pushes all this huge amounts of clouds and thunder and lightning, etc., all the way up the Adriatic. And it almost always breaks on this weekend. And you get huge... The, the Egyptians used to call it the Tears of Isis in, the right. Egyptian, in ancient Egypt. The Romans called it Ferragosta. And they still have this holiday, the Italians, on the 15th of August, which is marks the high point of the Italian summer. And it also marked for... Because Octavian, yeah. who morphed into Augustus, right. came up with this holiday <laughs> called Ferragosta, which is basically the party of Augustus, right? Yeah. After he won... And it's again, it's an, it's an interesting thing. After he won the Battle of Actium against Mark Antony and Cleopatra. Oh right, okay, right. So it's all, it's all, it's all tied up with Egypt, right? Yeah. The whole thing's tied up with Egypt. And here in Croatia, the Veliki Gospa is the ascension, right? So it's basically it marks the end of the summer holidays for them, and it's the end of the season. And of course, what happened was the Christians realized, hold on a second, the Romans have a party at that time. The Egyptians had a party at that time. Maybe the Greeks had a party at that time to represent the end of the summer. Shit, we better get, come up with something. <laughs> so we came up with the ascension into heaven of Mary. Yeah, we're not going to be left out of the party. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's what happened today. It's brilliant, right? So now well, around here, because Croatia is a Catholic country, right? And it's, a, yeah. it's an old style Catholic country. So all around here today, right, they have the Veliki Gospa, which is the ascension, Right. So they have a little feast in the morning, the priest goes around and it's the bells and everything. And then that descends into chaos as they have this crazy party in the afternoon. So it's basically just a pagan festival prompted by the environment, prompted by the River Nile, prompted by the monsoons in Asia a couple of months ago. And it's an excuse to get hammered. So you're going on the lash this afternoon? Exactly, in the Velika Gospel, on the, the Ascension. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's what fantastic. happens. And then, and, then, and then for the Croats, the summer is over. That's what they say. The Mediterraneans, they say, okay, that's it. It's more or less over now. We've got to go back to work tomorrow. Right. And the Italians have this Ferragosta thing. Back which to, is, is it back to farming then? Because, um, you know, obviously with the flood of, of the Egyptian Delta, that's when all the sediment is deposited and all the fresh life and, and all the crops can be sown again. Is it the same then in Croatia then that the farmers get back to it and start well, tilling they, the I land? Think, I think they get back to it. No, they're waiting for the big, the big, the big one here is the olive harvest. Okay. So olives are all planted and everything's cut back in your vines in, I think, September, February, March. Right. And then you allow the vines to grow and then it's back into the fields for the next couple of weeks and then the big harvest is around October, which is a lovely time to be here because everybody harvests the vines and they begin to make their own wine. Not right. the highest quality, it must be said. <laughs> and sometimes when it comes out of a jerry can that has had petrol in it all summer, uh, you should be a little bit suspect, which is why the local Croats put water into their wine. Okay, right. Yeah, and they do that. And you know, the Greeks, are, we're really on a real roll. The Greeks used to put water into wine and give it to actors before the Greek theatre. And they right. used to also give it to politicians before they spoke in parliament, in the Greek parliament. And the reason was people have to, people are nervous. 
Yeah, the, you get Dutch a little courage. Bit, you get a bit of Dutch courage. A little bit of courage, you know? And it's yeah. the same idea. So the Greeks, you know, Socrates is always talking about having been a little bit hammered before yeah. you get up and give your thing, you know? So you can actually express yourself. Anyway. <laughs> it's like and, podcast, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Enough of that, carry on. Let's talk about important issues of the day, right? Now, what is the most important issue, John, unambiguously in Ireland, is what was revealed last week and this week by Daft, which revealed that there was only, I think, 900 properties available for rent yes, in the country. I saw that, yeah. The ongoing and relentless increases in rents in particular, and house prices, but rents in particular. The inability or unwillingness of the state to galvanize its resources to build more houses, because ultimately, no matter what way you spin it, and there's many people involved in ideological arguments about what's the best way to go forward, you solve a housing problem with more houses, not less houses. So the question okay, is, how do you do sense. it, right? But I actually think that this now, the housing crisis has the ability or threatens all the economic upside, potential, everything that we've achieved over the last couple of years, because it has the potential to completely derail the society. And, but- and, I, and I think that's what might happen. But you have a look around, though, and there seems to be a hell of a lot more building going on. Now, I yes, don't know is. if that's, I don't know if those buildings of, you know, uh, apartment blocks, are they, you know, those apartment blocks that are owned by vulture funds or investment outfits or whatever, are they going to be on the open market or are they going to be set a really high rental level? where they just become exclusive as opposed to... Yeah, this is the, to, the big buy-to-rent argument, right? Yes, that, that, yeah. that, well, well let, we, we, we can talk about that in a couple of minutes, but I think what's important is to get a bit of perspective. So let's park that, right? Because you're, you okay. actually see there is a lot of building going on, right? But it's clearly not enough building going on sure. yeah, at yeah. the right pace, right? But if we go back, John, what really worries me is that all Irish economic crisis, since we were kids, have been homegrown. They've How do you got mean? Made in Ireland written on them. Okay. <laughs> that basically Ireland. Guaranteed Irish. Ar- guaranteed <laughs> Irish. Ireland goes bad from the inside out. Right? Yeah. And it is always. So you go back to the two big crises of our life, our economic lives, our, our, our personal lives in Ireland, were the Celtic Tiger and yep. the 2008 crash and the 1980s when we were in school. Right? Mm. And the 1980s was a complete lost decade. So if you go back to this, they were entirely manufactured at home by Irish politicians, in the main Irish public policy, uh, basically the Irish permanent in in the Talk to me about the the 1980s, because I I remember that as, as, I mean, it's a great decade in terms of it's great crack, there's great music, we we had a laugh, but... We had a laugh, yeah. But we got out as fast as we possibly could. Well, over 100,000 Irish people emigrated in the 19, in the early part of the 1980s, right? That's a huge, huge figure. And the reason was the following. You had two, I believe, kind of charlatans, right? One, Gareth Fitzgerald, and one, Charlie Hawhey. Now, Gareth Fitzgerald was a social democrat, apparently, but he behaved like a populist, right? He talked the language of probity and financial responsibility, but he actually behaved like Juan Perón. He behaved, he behaved like an Argentinian, sort of throwing money around. He couldn't get the budget under control, all that sort of stuff. And I remember very distinctly what really kind of got in my nerves as a, as a young person beginning to understand that economics was important was 
and this again comes back to my dad and, and, and he dad worked in manufacturing and manufacturing in Ireland was destroyed under the early Gareth Fitzgerald regimes. Why? Because they, he was a very enthusiastic advocate of joining the ERM, which was basically shadowing the Deutschmark, which meant right. the Irish exchange rate was very, very overvalued given our productivity. And given that the exchange rate was overvalued, we had to put up interest rates hugely in order to justify that overvaluation, attract in money. Right. Was he, but, by the way, just to stop there, was was Gareth Fitzgerald a an economist by by? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fashion. Which is which 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 is doubly uh, lamentable, right? Right. And so what you have is if you have an overvalued exchange rate and an overvalued real interest rate, it means the cost of capital is hugely expensive vis-a-vis your exporter competitors, and your exchange rate means your cost of production is incredibly expensive when you go to sell abroad. So what you saw was an assault on the manufacturing base, such as it was of the urban working man. I wouldn't say working class man, I mean working man, the man who worked in manufacturing, right? So people like my dad, they were chemicals and paints and basic industries that were feeding the construction industry, largely in the UK, they were exporting to the UK. At the same time, Gareth Fitzgerald got all upset about Bewley's going to the wall and he organized a subsidy for Bewley's. But he never. He never really? Yeah, this is the, this. So this really got my wick. So so there was all, all these industrial areas of Ireland. So most Irish small towns and cities had small industries, yeah. and those industries were where largely working class and working men went to work. All of those, very few of those people voted Fine Gael. Mm-hmm. And in that period of the early eighties, my reading of the situation was that that class that was basically thrown out to pasture in order to protect another class, right? And what happens then, and what, what really got was, was when Fitzgerald obviously went for a coffee every morning in Bewley's, which is fine, right? Yeah. It's hardly a strategic industry for the country. Yeah, so yeah, while yeah. manufacturing was all being hammered by an overvalued exchange rate and an overvalued real interest rate, Gareth Fitzgerald was only concerned about bailing out Bewley's, where he was having a coffee reading the Irish Times with his mates. <laughs> and it came down to class. It all yeah, comes down yeah, to yeah. class, right? And perceptions of what's important. So I think Gerald was a populist masquerading as a social democrat. And of course, Tahi was just a populist full stop. Didn't he, right. Tahi just, he, didn't, he didn't even feel he had to worry about his image, right? <laughs> and so the framework of the discussion, I remember when in the 80s, when you and I finished school and most of our friends went to London to work, right? Yeah. It was framed between, you know, the evil Charlie Hahi and the good Gareth Fitzgerald. Both of them were equally culpable. And just because Fitzgerald had a sort of a social agenda, which I agree with on the divorce and all that, it kind of painted them never. But on economics, the stuff that we talk about, yeah. they were both equally lamentable. And it was only actually Hahi in 87 who said, okay, the game is up. And then actually tried to reverse everything, tried to balance all, the books. All what, made him, what made Hahi change his mind then? Now, this is a fascinating thing because how he won the election in 86, basically saying, don't be worried, we'll just keep spending, we'll keep borrowing, right? Mm. And uh, there was a combination of that on the economic front, so mad populism. And of course, he sided with the Catholic Church on all the social issues. So he was trying at the one hand to play the culture war, right. traditional culture war, yeah. and on the other hand, so it was, it was basically like Latin America. Like, we'll <laughs> spend loads of other people's monies and we'll allow the church run the kip, right? Okay? Yeah, yeah. And then we'll outsource moral issues, even though, you know. And I then think he brought happened, in the IFSC, though, didn't he? So I think what happened to Hahi was the following. I think that Hahi used to surround himself with lots of very wealthy. I mean, this is, this is conjecture. 
with wealthy people. And the reason he had a U-turn, I think, is that a lot of his wealthy mates said, look, this ship is sinking, right? It wasn't right. some sort of great right. ideological yeah. thing. I think a lot of his wealthy mates, because he was always in the Cockardie and down in Lecrivan and all those places. Remember there was a there was a restaurant down in Leary where your man had a roller outside. What was it called? A really posh one uh, on the seafront. The Mirabeau. And how he used to be always in the Mirabeau, right? And I think basically yeah, what yeah, happened yeah. to him is that, you know, Paul, I think basically a lot of his mates tapped him on the shoulder and said, the ship is sinking. Capital's leaving the yeah. country. People have whatever savings they have, they're getting it out, right? Yeah. And that was happening all across. Everyone had these accounts. Pretend, remember that there was a big, the big scandal of people pretending they lived abroad. They had accounts all yeah, over the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. The Irish, but the money was in the Irish banks, but it was actually registered abroad. And I think what basically happened is in 87, also if you think amazingly, right, the rest of the world boomed in the 80s. America was booming. Britain was booming. West yeah. Europe under West Germany was booming. And of course, Ireland was floundering. It was, it was impossible to have constructed a worse economic outlook. But those lads did. And of course, what happens in Ireland is always people emigrate. Like, you know, we emigrated, your, your elder brother emigrated, most yeah. of the lads on our road emigrated. And that basically was happening. Yeah, so we the, were, we the were, Windsor Park was cleaned out. It was cleaned out of, of, of 19-year-olds, right? Yeah. Everyone just left. Yeah. And all our, lots of our mates went to the States, all that sort of stuff. So I think that is, again, it's homegrown. The world was booming. But Ireland went backwards, right? So that's unambiguous our own fault. Then you go to the Celtic Tiger. And the Celtic Tiger was just basically, we, we, we thought we were going to get rich selling little bits of Ireland to each other with other people's money, right? The housing boom, right? Yeah. And of yeah. course, Ireland went from being, you know, a country with a banking system to a banking system with a country stuck onto it. <laughs> so basically this mad, bloated <laughs> banking system. And it was so obvious to, you know, I think it was obvious to a lot of people. I was, I was publicly because I had the profile at the time saying this is ludicrous, but lots of people were saying it in the pub as well. Yeah, like this, yeah, this, yeah, thing yeah. Is, this thing is bonkers. So again, entirely homegrown crisis. That, and, and again, all the Irish banks went bust. That's the funny thing. Every single one, not, not one of them didn't yeah. go bust, which is an amazing thing to say. And of course, so the extent of the crisis, although the crisis was around the world, the extent of it was amplified by Irish policy mistakes, right? Now I feel, John, we're here again housing crisis all over the world, you know, whether you talk to people in London or New York or Australia, it's all the same. House prices have gone through the roof, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't fix them at home. And my fear is that if Ireland doesn't fix this housing dilemma with muscular seriousness, right? This is a serious threat that this economy will be derailed. Okay, Mark, just before we move on, why did Ireland join the ERM? And what would have happened if yeah. we stayed out of it? Okay, so Ireland was in, is, Ireland has always been very, very tricky. I've always found Irish monetary policy very interesting, right? Because yeah. Ireland is the only post-colonial country that broke with its colonial masters, okay? The only one, but kept the currency of the Brits, right? right. As if, like, Jesus, just in case we made a mistake, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically what happened in 1922, Ireland gets independence. The first thing we do on the economic side is tie our currency to sterling. Because at the time, we were doing 95% of our trade with the UK. Yeah. So from 1922... So that makes sense then. Though it, was, it made so sense. 1979, yeah. well, it means you've no real economic sovereignty. It means you've no monetary sovereignty, right? 
But yeah. what you have then is fiscal sovereignty. So you can adjust your taxes and your spending and all that sort of stuff. But your actual monetary policy, your interest rates, the value of your exchange rate is all London, right? Okay. So okay. there was a move in the European Union. The European Union was split between two camps. One was called the monetarist camp and one was called the economist camp. So the idea was in the European Union that how do we accelerate economic integration and political integration? Because the European Union, yeah, it started as a trade gig and a customs union, whatever, but it's always been political. Mm. So there were two camps. And one was the way in which we integrate is we gradually trade and trade and trade with each other, and that will force political integration. That was called the economist view. Then there was a monetarist view, which was like, hold on a second. What we really need is to have monetary union, a forerunner to the euro. And if we can have monetary union led by Germany, that monetary union, because exchange rates will be fixed, will lead to more trade, that'll lead to more integration, and ultimately the politics will follow. And so yeah. in 1979, the ERM was set up. We joined enthusiastically. We pretended the punt was a hard currency. We devalued it six times in the 80s. <laughs> like, we're kind of hard, you know? And, and, and of course, what happened was the perception, and this is where it's tricky, all politics is tricky. The perception in the world was that Ireland was still part of Britain. And if we, in, the, in financial markets, okay. because we had been up until then, because we'd fixed our, our, our currency to sterling. Once we fixed it to the Germans, we were then hostage to German productivity and German monetary policy. And the idea was that the Germans were so anti-inflation that our currency, we'd import disinflation from Germany, meaning our currency would rise and rise and rise, we'd squeeze inflation. And at the end of the day, we would have a much healthier economy. And that actually is what happened. But the okay. fallout, the cost of all this was borne by the manufacturing sector. Now, people, I believe, rather people who had no feel for industry, right? Mm. Some bureaucrats, intellectuals, civil servants, what have you, right? Thought that it would be, the great economics idea is that you can replace some old industry without any dislocation and you can create new industries, right? The problem is that we see in Trump and Brexit is that when you destroy something, people get hurt, right? So the manufacturing base of the country was, was squeezed completely and utterly from interest rates and exchange, exchange rates. And that had its expression in incredibly high levels of urban unemployment. Yeah. Right? So we had yeah. unemployment of 20%, 16%, and it had expressions in very, very high levels of emigration. So that was the cost. Yeah. If you're in the insulated class, right? If you're a civil servant, if you're a public servant, sure. you're still getting paid. So, so what you had was the traded side of the economy got really badly damaged by the first few years of European Union integration. But the way in which Ireland bought the whole game off is that the farming sector did extremely well, right? right. To the CAP. Yes. So basically, the transfer of income from Europe to agricultural and rural Ireland, which kept rural Ireland in a much better position. So I remember even down in my grannies in the, the late 70s, I remember there was like an explosion of fellas buying tractors who'd never had tractors before, right? <laughs> right because yeah, they, yeah. they had money. And, and, one, of the, and one, of the, one of the greatest thing a bank could do was lend money, lease lending for tractors to farmers because farmers' incomes went through the roof of the cap, right? Yeah. So they were happy. Yeah. Industrial incomes, manufacturing incomes went through the floor. But yeah. because those guys didn't vote for Fine Gael, they were largely, you know, insulated by the whole thing. 
right? So that's fact, what I think happened. Fast forward a few years and that it's flipped from buying tractors to buying Range Rovers. Exactly. <laughs> Do you remember there was a tractor called a Zetter from Czechoslovakia? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Zetters are better. <laughs> exactly. Zetters are better. And there was like Massey Ferguson's and Davy Brown's and fellas talking about yeah. tractors. This is when I was a kid. This is my cousins would talk to me about. But the point yeah. was, agricultural Ireland got very rich in the first 10 years of European Union membership. Industrial mm. Ireland got very poor. And the fallout of that was the disappearance of the industrial manufacturing class in Dublin, Cork, Waterford as well, you know, cities that had industrial bases, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. the legacy of that, the legacy of that was the fact that the industrial working class did much worse out of the first 10 or 15 years of European integration than the agricultural laboring class. And yeah. that's just what happened. And again, the politicians played all that off each other. Maybe some of them weren't even aware that this was going on, right? But that's what was going on. And so I've always thought that we probably could have delayed going into the ERM. I thought we could have explained what was going on much more. We were blessed in the 80s. Britain boomed. So as Britain booms, Ireland should always do very well, particularly if you're trading a lot with them. And we just managed to screw it up. And America boomed and we managed to screw it up. But I suppose, and this is in, is that the stability which was manifest from having that exchange rate tie with the Germans, probably in the 1990s and towards the beginning of the Euro, helped in marketing Ireland as a brand and a place you could do business as a multinational. And that commitment. So right. what I'm just saying is that all the policies came right at a certain stage, but in the 80s, certainly one class got profoundly affected badly and another class didn't. And that's what happened. Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, so let's fast forward to what's going on now. Now. Okay, so the Central Bank published last week a report on the wealth of Ireland. And it came at the same time as daft.ie published a report on renting. It shows the wealth of Ireland has gone through the roof. It's now 1 trillion euros is the wealth of our country. So what they're basically is they're adding up all the wealth. So housing wealth, savings, finance, yeah. pensions, etc. right? And what you see is about 70% of all wealth in Ireland is in houses. 
Okay. What has happened is that people who own property have got rich by just sitting on their Swiss, by doing nothing, right? Yeah. So you might add, well, isn't the wealth of the country a good thing? You know, if the wealth is going up, isn't that a good thing, right? And it, it is a good thing. I tell you, the, the, the wealth of the country went up by, it's now 1 trillion, which is 200,000 euros for every man, woman, and child in this country, right? Which is right. a phenomenal figure. Yeah. And it went up by about 97 billion in the first quarter of this year alone. But wow. why did it go up? Jesus. Why did it go up? It went up largely because house prices continue to rise. So this is just wealth on paper, though. You know, it's, it's just not real paper, wealth. Right? No, and this is exact the point. Let's say good and bad wealth, right? Bad wealth is wealth that accrues to people from doing nothing, right? Mm. Good yeah. wealth. So let's take your house. You're just sitting on your, your arse. The thing goes up. Nobody benefits except for you, right? Yeah. Number one. The people who actually not only don't benefit, basically when house prices go up, it drives a wedge between people who have houses and people who don't have houses, right? Sure. So we're impoverishing an entire part of our country simply because as house prices increase, everything else decreases relative to that. So the amount of work you have to do to buy a house diminishes, right? Yeah. yeah so basically yeah, yeah. what happens when you have inflation in an asset like housing it means deflation in everything else you do, right? So you got to work harder, you got to earn more money. So basically, it's just a game between asset owners and renters, right? And the renters are now suffering badly. The second part of it is good wealth is the sort of wealth that you see generated in a country like, let's say, Japan. Now, so you have little companies. We talked about Taiwan last week, right? Yes. Companies yeah. involved in supply chain. They're creating new products. Those products are competitive. That's causing dividends. It's causing employment. It's causing innovation. The yeah. engineers, you know, in Taiwan are doing some, you know, really funky stuff, all that sort of stuff. That's good wealth. But we have bad wealth, which is what I would call the wealth of a drone class. You know, the drone and the, the worker bees. Yes. The drone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. doesn't want to be a drone, right? If I come back... In reincarnation, if we go back to India, I'm going to come back as a drone, just hanging out. <laughs> Me and the queen bee, you know, chilling out, okay? Well, the worker bees. No, but we've created a drone class in Ireland. Now, what happens? I know it's a good image, actually. What happens is, John, it means that another thing happens, right? Not just is there a wealth divide between the haves and the have-nots, etc., but there also is a generational divide between the young and the old, because the old own the assets. So you're rewarding the old who are becoming less productive, where you yeah. should be looking after the young who are going to be the future. And then there's another problem with it, which I, I dislike, is that it creates an inherited class, right? So it means that rich kids who inherit money, inherit the wealth that nobody can achieve through working and hard work and saving, right? So you create not only this, you bake in inequality into the system. So what you want is a country where inequality, it always exists, but where it's fluid, so the people at the top can lose as much as the people at the bottom can gain. So you people move up and down. Yeah, yeah. But once you bake in inequality through the housing market, it means Egypt's at the top. And we all know them, like sons of rich people, usually gobshites, right? They actually end they're up. The you know, they're, they receive nothing. They're doing nothing. They get this bum big inheritance of half a million quid. They then can buy houses. They then can create wealth where the hardworking other people who don't have that inheritance can't. So you bake in inequality. Yeah. Right, And that's what's happening in the country. All the while, the people who can't afford houses 
are being shunted into the rental sector. And then the rental sector, therefore, is becoming tighter and tighter and tighter. And of course, what you've seen in the DAF report is the rental sector is completely dysfunctional. There's like 900 properties for rent yeah. in yeah, the whole yeah. country. It's right? Bonkers, bonkers. So what we've got to do is we've got to be incredibly serious about building houses. Now, that means we've got to be serious about land use. That means we've got to be serious about land hoarding. That means we've got to be serious. And you come back, remember your buy to rent idea, right? Yes. Yeah. The huge dilemma there, one is buy to rent is creating huge wealth for largely offshore pension funds, right? That's Mm. one thing. Okay. But the second thing is those big players are buying up large tracts of land and they're waiting and they're not building. They're waiting for the prices to go up, right? So the way in which you change that dynamic is you've got to introduce tax on sites. And that is this site value tax that we've talked about time and time again. What it does is it penalizes hoarding and it rewards developing. And Wasn't this something that they were, they were trying to address recently? But have they not kind of got to grips with this yet? Well, you see, the very, the very statistic of the one trillion in wealth the 200,000 for every man, woman, and child, and the fact that of that 1 trillion, about 700 billion is in housing wealth. Mm. The party that goes to the election and says, we're going to increase housing wealth, or housing taxation, we're going to tax property, or we're going to tax sites, will probably, probably not get elected. Because you have a significant chunk of the population that's doing okay, even a significant chunk of the population that's, doing, that's been locked out. Mm. The people who are doing okay are older. They vote more. They're much more active in all sorts of quasi-political games, I would say. Whereas, like, you know, residents associations, these sort of things, they're, like, they're active in the community, right? Yes. The younger yeah. people who are working are not that active and they don't vote. So what is happening, the scam in Ireland is that the older people are assuming that their wealth is going to be guaranteed by younger people paying excessive house prices. So it's like a Ponzi scheme right? Yeah. Our pyramid scheme. You can only get out of the top if there's a young person at the bottom is prepared to Coming buy in. your yeah. expensive yeah. house, yeah. right? But eventually you run out of people. And that's what's happening. Home ownership in Ireland, this is an extraordinary statistic, John. The share of 25 to 34-year-olds, the yeah. share of home ownership home has halved in the last 15 years. So in 2004, it was 60% of 24 to 35-year-olds owned their own home. It's yeah. now 27%. Wow. So this idea that Ireland wow. is a home-owning democracy is gone. This is, we are no longer a home-owning democracy. We are an excessively jaundiced democracy where lots of people own very expensive homes, but the idea is it's not open to anybody. And those people who used to own are now in the rental market. And that's why things are so tight in the rental market. Yes. So we just have to build and build and build. And a party has to introduce a value tax on sites. It's the only way that we will reduce what is basically, was the only way we will bring efficient land into use, right? That's the only yeah. way. And you're talking about a heavy tax, like you're talking about a tax to shite out of it. It perhaps to be very, it has to be material. It has to be material because, and I'll just leave it there. Every time the wealth of housing goes up, the worth of everything else goes down. That's something people have to get into their heads, right? Which is, we go out to work, that's what we do for our income. Yeah. As house prices rise, we reward the drone class who are doing nothing but sitting on their holes, right? 
But not only are we rewarding the drone class, we're penalizing the workers who are going out to work. So yeah. every single time wealth goes up in houses, it actually devalues and undermines everything else we do. And that is a recipe for political, and that's the most important point, chaos. Because if you keep undermining a person's work by saying, well, you know what, you're going to have to work for another five years for the deposit, yes. or another 10 years for the deposit, they're eventually just going to give up. Yeah. And when they give up, they're eventually going to vote for the party that says, we're going to take all the wealth back. Viva Revolution. Well, you said it, babe. While I have you there, listen, I just want to say thank you so much to all our Patreons who really supported myself and John throughout the last nearly three years, man. Three years, wow. Oh, it's a long time. I thought it only started last week. It's such a good crack, though, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. It is. It's, like, it's like having the dream gig, you know. Thank you very, very much. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You get ad-free you get courses, you get chats, you can ask me questions, all sorts of stuff, and you really become part of the gang. So that's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And again, thank you very much. Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.